What a blessing it is to see all of you out this morning. Um, for a long time, I, as a foolish young man, I thought that uh, the apex of life would be to play in a Super Bowl or maybe a college national championship, but man, we get to have a Super Bowl every, every time we meet, and how blessed we are to be here together. I wanted to take this time just for a moment. Uh, I know that most of the congregation is here this morning. I wanted to, uh, well, first of all, I wanted to uh, thank Neil and Jesse for coming and, and, and working here. Uh, I want to thank my wife and, uh, uh, of course, Jared also. Um, really appreciate y'all helping. Uh, we... And I think I can speak on their, on, their, on their behalf also. We want to thank y'all. We want to thank you for your hospitality. It's been A-plus all the way around. Uh, for, from our lodging to the meals and the visits, the fellowship, it's just been, been wonderful. And we want to thank y'all for that. We want to thank the kids, the young folks, for all the uh, work that you put in this week and all the good deeds that you did, uh, we really appreciate y'all. It means a lot. This morning, <clears throat> I would like to, uh, for us to take a look for a short time at <clears throat> our work. It is our work. It's all of our work. You guys, I've said this once before, uh, the congregation here at Pearland has uh, supported me and my family almost from the beginning uh, in the work, and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, you've, you've provided food, funds, uh, money, food, other resources. Uh, I know that, that y'all study here, you have private studies, and I'm gonna tell you that's so, so valuable. Because we don't, iron does not get sharp, sharpened when you rub it against wood. Iron gets sharpened when we, when we study together. Iron sharpens iron. And uh, we appreciate that very much. Uh, I know that this also takes place here, um, just like it does in other congregations where we've lived before. Uh, when, I, when I was gone and the kids were still in school and my wife had to stay home, there were brothers and sisters in Christ that always looked in on my family. Uh, appreciate that immensely. Uh, I'll just give you a quick example. When my uh, little three-year-old granddaughter was mauled by a pit bull a few weeks ago and uh, they rushed her to emergency surgery, uh, my son's friends that are in the world, they weren't the ones that showed up. It was a church made a huge impression, huge impression. So we're very thankful for that, and above, above all these things, we're thankful for your prayers. Prayer works, and we need your prayers, and we're thankful for that. <clears throat> you know, boots on the ground, uh, doing evangelism, which all of you uh, hopefully are doing that. I know many of you are, because I've done it with you. You know, we preach the word. We study the Word with those that will allow us to do that. We pray with them. We visit members. We visit those people that are in the world that will let us visit. We admonish. We rebuke. We edify. 
we do all forms of personal work. I mean, it, it pretty much covers from A to Z on that. Uh, that is boots on the ground. But the focus of our mission is, first of all, sharing the Word of God to a dying world. Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And second of all, we need to disciple. That's the second part of this mission. When people obey the gospel, we need to keep them. That's, that's, that's when the journey begins. We need to keep them. So we need a disciple. We need to teach people. You know, I don't know how many of you uh, played sports or, or uh, anything like that, but I will tell you when a person, person first starts to play, like, for instance, football, the kids don't know how to put on football pads. They just don't. You know, it, we have to be shown how to do that. A warrior has to be shown how to put on his armor. And, and, and this is the same, same thing in, uh, with the church. We, we have to help young Christians when they first obey the gospel to armor them in the full armor of God. Matthew 28 and 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. To keep them, arm them, equip them to fight against Satan and his minions. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, is all need Christ. Everyone needs Christ. From the darkest, most evil person that walks this earth to, to what we would consider a very good person, we all need Christ, without exception. But <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, is few want him. Few want him. Everybody needs him, but few want him. I, uh, early on, uh, when I was being schooled, we were driving back from Portales, New Mexico. And we made some stops along the way to another meeting, and I won't name the town, but it was in New Mexico also. And I was asked... After this meeting was over by the guy that was, was schooling me, what did you think about that, that meeting? And I just gave him what I thought right off the top of my head without thinking. And I said, well, to me, it seemed like that was a waste of time. It was just, it was a waste of time. The meeting was fairly poor attended. The people were not, uh, they were not on fire. Uh, it, it just felt like a bad meeting. And I'll tell you what, I was reprimanded very quick, quickly about that. About having the opinion that that was not, we had wasted our time. That the word had not worked. So I want to study about that for a little while this morning. When the word will not work. First of all, the Word convicts and it saves. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Ideally, this is what the Word does. 
when we talk to people about it. It convicts and it saves. But it also uh, judges, convicts, and sentences to those that reject the Word. In John 12 and 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. The word is going to save, it's going to convict and save, or it's going to judge, convict, and sentence. The word always works. The word of God is never ineffective. It always achieves its purpose. Hebrews 4 and 12 for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is manifest, is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto, him, unto the eyes of him of who we have to do. The word always works. It always works. We may sit there and, and look and, and when people just deny it and think it doesn't work, it's working. It achieves its purpose. <clears throat> the Word always works. Isaiah 55 and 10, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not re return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the things whereunto I sent it. It always works, folks. It's never a waste of our time. Now, there's basically four different responses we receive when we share the gospel. First, ideally, people believe, they are convicted, they repent, they confess the name of Christ, and they are baptized, coming in contact with the, the blood. And God adds them to the church. Ideally, that's what happens. But we also run across some people that outright reject it. And they may label themselves as uh, atheist or agnostic, uh, I don't want to get too technical with a bunch of these terms, but they will outrightly reject the word. Then we have some that will receive the word, they will believe it, and they will make a statement somewhere along the lines of, you don't know what I've done. I cannot be forgiven. God will not forgive me. In essence, saying that their sin is greater than the power of God to forgive. In essence, that's what, it, what that is saying. Also, <clears throat> we run across people that believe that Christ is the Son of God. They believe the message, but they just want to obey in their own way. A way that feels comfortable, that makes them feel comfortable. And do not want to follow the Word of God and His instruction about how to obey that form of doctrine to come in, in contact with the blood of Christ. They want another way to do that. 
Entitlement, the definition, the belief that one is inherently deserving of privilege or special treatment, directly opposed to the gratitude and contentment. You're never going to find anybody that feels like they're entitled that's grateful or content. They just don't mix. And I want you to take a look at this picture here. <clears throat> so I don't know what you see when I see that, but I see a little girl that was opening this Christmas present. She was excited about it, and she thought, I know what's in here. I'm fixing to get a little doll, uh, uh, a, uh, the little ice, uh, what do they call it, frozen, uh, Anna or uh, Elsa or one of these things. She was expecting to get her favorite character doll. But when she opened this thing, it was a pair of socks. You know? I mean, it was a nice pair of socks. But that was not what she was entitled to in her mind. And I think we can all relate to that. I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, five or six years older than that. Well, probably ten years older than that. I wanted, a, I wanted a gun. I wanted a rifle. My little, my little cousin, he's a year, year and a half younger than me, uh, Sean Seabock, Sean he had a grown man's gun. And I wanted a grown man's gun. So I, parents asked what I wanted for a gift, and I told them, I want a lever action Winchester 22. That's what I want. Well, our parents were very good to us. We were not rich, but they were very generous. And, I, and I, got, I got a gun for Christmas. It wasn't a Winchester lever action. It was a Remington pump action. But man, I was happy. I was happy. But I can still remember uh, what I was thinking about before that Christmas and what I was going to do if Mom and Dad didn't get me what I wanted. You know? I, I had laid plans in my head about, you know, acting up, you know, because I was entitled to that. And we've experienced that as parents also. You know, uh, early on in the work, uh, I, I wasn't bringing in much bacon. My wife was pretty much supporting us. Uh, but we saved money, and we saved for, for gifts for the kids, and we saved up enough money to buy them computers for Christmas. You know, they're always borrowing our computers for schoolwork and running them. But we bought these computers, and I never will forget, uh, our daughter opened her present. And that was exactly the look on her face. <laughs> she didn't like it. And we had saved up all that money, you know, to buy her that gift, and she, she did not want it. She felt entitled to something else. And you know, my wife, she got a pretty good answer for that stuff. You know, we, we just won't give gifts anymore. Instead, for Christmas, we'll go to uh, the women's shelter in Amarillo and we'll serve Christmas dinner. And believe it or not, the kids enjoyed that. They were happy doing it. But uh, that just, it kind of reinforces the point that there's no... Uh, when a person is ungrateful and they feel like they're entitled, there is no contentment. There's no contentment. There's no gratefulness. There's no thankfulness. 
<clears throat> the entitlement mindset at its root desires to eliminate Christ. And that's, that's what the study is about this morning. Eliminating Christ. I want to take a look at what that looks like. <clears throat> Without Christ. Now, everything that we see around us, it was created through Christ. There in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It's hard for us to grasp what this truly means sometimes. You know, mankind looks at time and space, and, and it's hard for them to wrap their minds around that. You know, we see time as something that's moving from the past where we have memories of things that have happened in the past. We live in the present, and we look to the future and try to see what's coming, disappearing around the bend. It's kind of like a river flowing in front of us. God does not look at time like that. God is not a servant of time or space. God created time and space. It serves Him. And it is all laid out before Him at once. You know, Christ uh, was asked uh, about Abraham. And Christ uh, made a simple statement. Before Abraham was, I am. That's a drop the mic moment right there. Before Abraham was, I am. Has always been. And the universe and everything that we see or know is made by Christ, through Christ. <clears throat> Mankind, there in Genesis chapter 1 and 26, and God said, let us make man in our own image for after, after our likeness and let, us, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and ever, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And then he created woman. And it was very good. Now, we all know that Christ, that the, the, the Son, is also God. So it was within his power to step away from that at that point. You know, we created the universe, we created man, we created woman. Well, that's it. What would the world be like without Christ? I want you to consider what the world has tried to do by eliminating Christ. If you take a look around, the, one of the biggest movements today is eliminating man and woman and just making it whatever. Whatever you decide you are, that's what you are. Not what God created you as. Mankind desires to eliminate the genders which God created. The family... There in Genesis chapter 2 and 24, 
Therefore shall the man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Uh, God created marriage. Created it. It's a blessing. Look at what the world has done by trying to eliminate Christ to marriage. It's an old, to them, it's an old, out-of-date idea. Take a look at the divorce rates. We all know people that have been through this. Matter of fact, some of us have been through this. God uh, created marriage. It is a good thing. It's a great institution. The devil desires to destroy it. There in Hebrews 3 and 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but a whoremonger and adulterer's God will judge. Folks, the marriage bed, the physical relationship between a man and a woman is beautiful. It's a blessing. It's not a dirty thing. It's a blessing. It's a clean thing. It's a gift from God. Now you look and you see what the world has tried to do to that through uh, the internet, pornography, and all these things, and entertainment has tried to do to marriage, to, tried to do to the sexual relationship between a man and a woman, uh, not a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. They've tried to eliminate that and make it dirty and filthy and corrupting a pure gift from God. That is without Christ. Talk about the family for a little bit. <clears throat> Steve, you, uh, you and Rachel, can you imagine your life without your kids? What a blessing. What a blessing. Psalms 127 and 3. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruits of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemy in the gate. Children are a blessing to be cherished. What about our grandchildren? Many of us, we, we've been blessed with grandchildren. And you young parents, I don't want you to get your feelings hurt, but I'll tell you what, my wife, one of the first things she told our son after our granddaughter was born is, you really just don't matter anymore. <laughs> you know? And that, of course, that's not true. But we love our grandchildren. What a gift. If you want to hear about grandchildren, talk to my wife. She will talk, talk your ear off about grandchildren. What a blessing. What a blessing. What has the world tried to do to our children? By eliminating Christ. By taking godly principles out of uh, school, institutions that our kids are involved in. Try to influence our kids to, to pull them away from God. To, to get them addicted to evil, devilish things. To take their innocence to eliminate Christ 
That's what they've desired to do. That's their mission. Our earthly blessings. We know that all good things come from above. Our homes, our food, our clothing, our jobs. Unnumbered blessings. We could sit up here all day and we still couldn't list them all. All those blessings. Without Christ, none of it's there. It's not there. But I want you to think about every single one of these blessings that we enjoy. The devil has, has assaulted every single one of them and tried to run them. And he's made a lot of headway with a lot of people. And I know probably what's going through some of your minds. There are people that hate God, don't believe in Him, whatever, have rejected Him, that still enjoy all the blessings that we've covered so far, right? They're still blessed like that, and that's true. That's true. Matthew 5 and 43. <clears throat> you have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and upon the unjust. Yeah, he blesses every man and woman. Every woman, uh, man and woman on this earth enjoys blessings from God, okay, for a short time. For a short time. Those blessings will come to an end. I want to talk about blessings that only the church enjoys. Only his family enjoys. The Bible. We've read this once before. We can't read it enough. 2 Timothy 3 and 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What would we do? What would we do if we didn't have this instruction, these commands to show us how to live? What would we do if we didn't have this word to change us daily, to make us more like Christ? <clears throat> Jesus Christ talks about the formation of Scripture there in John chapter 6, 16 and verse 6. Because I have said these things unto you, he's getting ready to go to the cross and he's talking to his apostles. Sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not in, on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judge. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. All truth. Not part of it. All of it. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, 
And He will show you things to come. We have all truth. What a blessing. The world desires to destroy the Bible. There are many places you cannot take the Word of God. It's forbidden. There are many so-called religious organizations that have removed whole sections of the book to fit their twisted idea of what mankind should be able to enjoy and participate in. They have removed parts of the, of the, of the Word. They have not changed the Word. Mankind cannot change the Word. They changed the physical book. And they're deceiving themselves. The world uh, desires mankind to be bereft of the Word of God. To take Christ, to take the Bible out. What about prayer? You know, there are a lot of people in this world that pray to God. And I I can't say, we, we can't judge who... Who, who is heard and who's not. We, we don't know who is repentant and it's hard to figure all that out. But God knows. He knows. And the only time God hears a sinner's prayer is when they're repentant. When they have repentance in their heart. You can't just ask God for a favor and expect to get it and still con- uh, planning on continuing with, in sin. <clears throat> What would life be like without prayer? What would it be like? Uh, Y'all are all familiar probably with the accident that Sean had here recently. Uh, We thought he was going to die. I got a text. He was still trapped under the farm equipment. And all I I got was Sean's being life-flighted. He had a farm accident. And I just forwarded that, started forwarding it to brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what what he told me about that? He said he had never experienced pain like that in his life. He was just praying to God, God, please, please help me hold it together. Help me hold it together over and over. Okay? He said that after about 30 minutes, that excruciating pain like he had never felt before just faded. It just faded. He said, I thought I was in shock because people in shock, I've heard they don't feel pain. Yet he was calling people. He remembers everything he did. He was not in shock. The fact of the matter is that there were thousands, thousands of you praying for him at that moment before the throne of God. Folks, the world blames God for all, th- all kinds of things that he's not responsible for. They blame God for things that Satan and mankind are responsible for. We should give credit to God and thank him for the things he has done. Hebrews 4 and 14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, 
For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Can you imagine not having a high priest in heaven? Because even though we've come in contact with the blood of Christ, and we try and we strive, we fail. We fail occasionally. We're humans. We do that. We still wear this flesh. And uh, I had a guy come up to me and tell me, you evangelists, y'all, y'all just got everything worked out. Y'all don't sin no more. Brothers and sisters, that is not true. Evangelists, elders, deacons, we are men. We are fighting a fight. What would it be like if we didn't have Jesus up there interceding for us with the Father on a daily basis? What a gift. What a gift to be able to go to God in prayer, to, to become, come before the throne of God through the blood of Christ and in the name of Christ. You already know, you, can you pray in school in Pearland anymore? Can you do that? I don't know. I know that most schools you can't do that. It's against the law. Especially for a teacher or a person in authority to do that. It is uh, forbidden or looked down upon in many, many places within our society when a person bows his head in prayer. The devil seeks to destroy prayer. He seeks to remove Christ. The church. What would we do without the church? What would we do without each other? I see how much you enjoy being with each other. With each, being fellowship with, with each other. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever been to a congregation like this. In the sense that after church we're sitting here till 11, 11.30 at night and then we go to another brother's house and we just shut it down everywhere. That's, I mean, that is beautiful. Man, that is beautiful. You know, and, and when, we're, when we're having hard times, when we're down, whether it's because of something we did to ourselves or something we suffered because somebody else did something, or just natural things that happen in life. I'm, the church is always there. They're there to support us. They're there to love us. What a gift. Ephesians 2 and 19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fit, uh, fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye all also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing to be under Christ as the head, the chief cornerstone, to have a purpose on this world, in a destination in heaven. What a blessing. 
the world desires to destroy the church. It desires to corrupt the church. Teaching doctrines of men instead of doctrines of God. Brothers and sisters, we have the duty to, duty to check and verify the words of God that every man speaks up here. Every man. If he's speaking about God, we need to be checking it. Because God's the ultimate authority. The blood. This is not a popular thing to talk about. The blood. Yet, the blood, that's our foundation. That's how we were added to the church, through the blood. Romans 5 and 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when, if, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. <clears throat> the world and Satan have tried to remove blood, the blood of Christ from religion. They've tried to remove it. And most of them don't talk about it. If you turn on the radio or watch a TV sermon, you very rarely hear about the blood of Christ. And you sure very rarely hear about how to come in contact with it. They may tell you some made-up man way to do that, but it's not God's way. They've tried to eliminate Christ from religion. And finally, heaven. Something that everybody in the world thinks they're entitled to. Or at least those that think they've led a pretty good life. A good life by man's standards. Revelations 21 and 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's hard for us to wrap our minds. We can't wrap our minds around actually what it's going to be like to be in the presence of God, in His presence. But we're told there's not going to be any sorrow no crying. A place with joy. No death. No sickness. What, what a beauty. Beautiful thing. Filled with peace and love and contentment. The world desires to remove that. To remove it. And Quite frankly, a place without Christ is a place without all the good things. 
There's no true love. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no faith. There's no hope, no family, no comfort, no forgiveness. There's no purpose in life. A true purpose and a true goal. Without Christ, there's none of that. There's none of that. You know, a place without Christ is hell. Because upon that second death, there will be no Christ in hell. It will be total separation. Total separation. There was a, a very popular song. Matter of fact, it's still popular today. But I, I believe it came out back in the 70s or maybe early 80s. And this song was about uh, a place without Christ. The lyrics talked about what if there was no God? What if there was no heaven? And then uh, the singer uh, glorified about what a great place that would be. How, how fiendish. How fiendish is that? What a beautiful place it would be. It's a lie. A complete and total lie. Because the devil and the world desire to eliminate Christ. Please get out your songbooks. What has this done to you? What has the Word of God done to you? Has it convicted you and saved you? Hallelujah if it has. Hallelujah. If it hasn't done that, and you continue to let that go, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the next hour, matter of fact. If you let that go, this word will achieve its purpose. And instead of being convicted and saved and added to the church by God the Father, we will be convicted. We will be judged and convicted by this word. And we will be sentenced. And we will be sentenced to a place without Christ. If you are here this morning and you are without Christ, don't feel like you're the only one that's been through this because there's a room, there's a room full of people that were, were sinners. And they came to the realization that they needed Christ above and beyond everything. Everything. So if you make that move this morning, People are not going to be looking at you like, what in the world is that person doing? What did he do that he needs to come for? That's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is, is you're going to have a room full of Christians rejoicing. Not only that, but the angels in heaven will be rejoicing. 
because you have decided to join the family of God. If you would like to do that this morning, we will assist you. God will do all the work. He will do all the work. If we can help you in any way, please come forward as we stand and sing.